welcome to On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. So welcome to this week's edition of On the Record. My guest is Jesse Lubin. We'll call him Minister Without Portfolio at LRAM. He's a third-generation furniture manufacturer. Um, interestingly, Jesse, one of the first things we do is we normally introduce people and we tell folks their title. Um, you are in a family business and do not have a title. How is that? Why is that? Well, for, for the most part of my career at LRAM, I've been doing many different things, learning the business. Spent many years in the factory running our research and development department. And now I spend most of my time um, selling on the road uh, in the East Coast and in the West Coast. So, but yet still always come back to uh, the factory and product development. So, yeah, this is the third generation. Your grandfather started the business. My grand, um, yeah. Go ahead. No, that's right. Go ahead. My grandfather started the business in 1967 uh, with the partner at the time, Howie Schaefer. And my father and uncle took over the business in the mid-90s. And my cousin, Michael, and myself started working here in the mid-2000s. So what was your first experience at the company? When, when did you realize that you were in the furniture business or your family? What was your first recognition of that? I was probably eight years old. And the class had asked me to do a report on... I don't remember something manufacturing. And I said, oh, maybe I'll go into the factory. I know my father does something like that. And I walked in and I did this whole, you know, Polaroid pictures on a bristle board at eight years old. And I remember being wowed at the, about what we did. And when was your first experience? Like, when did you first start actually doing something? When did your dad either bring you in? And I mean, I've talked to other people, you know, who have worked in family businesses and they've started at everything from filling boxes to sweeping floors. Um, what was your first experience in the, in the factory? Yeah, so you could say I did some version of, I didn't sweep the floors, but I started working uh, in the factory on one of the lines helping out uh, moving, the, uh, moving the frames, getting the screws, really doing the, the beginning job of anybody who comes into the factory and wants to you know, maybe one day become an upholsterer. I had to really get started knowing what it is that we do. So today when I'm you know, on the road or in the factory, I have a wealth of knowledge because I started in the back for about six months. It was, wasn't glamorous, uh, but it was, it was a great learning experience. How old were you when you did that? I was 20. Okay. So those kinds of experiences at the, the age and experience level you're at now, you look back at that and obviously you see the value and you understand as a 20 year old, as you were moving frames around, were you thinking, yeah, this is a great experience. I'm going to really value this. Or are you thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. What was your thought process as you were going through that? I, I know it sounds almost fake, but even then I knew I had to pay my dues. I came from, you know, a line of my, uh, my grandfather, who I was very close with, always said that you have to work hard and learn a lot to be able to succeed. And every step of the way, I remember being that old and he would come in and he, he when he was alive, he would come in and he was proud of uh, that starting point. So it was something even then I knew that it would benefit me in the long run. So... Um, 
how did your, tell me a little bit about how you progressed from that point. So you did six months there. What was your next experience? Yeah. So from there, after six months there, I went into our service department and I remember going in there. And if you know, we're from, we're from Quebec. So we have predominantly French speaking people and I was an English guy and I had to learn pretty quickly how to speak French, the terminology of, of the furniture world. And I spent two years in the service department, you know, answering phone calls, dealing with customers, trying to make everybody happy as much as I could. And that was one of the springboards for me, knowing that I could do anything. Because if you can, if you can work in service, you can pretty much do anything. Did you and your dad uh, and or your uncle at some point sit down and say, okay, here's the path going to progress? Or was it kind of organic? Like, okay, you've got this experience, now go do this. How did, was there a strategy to that? So I was, I was always told that the, the best way that I will grow in the company is find a hole, find where you're needed, and make it happen. Nobody, nobody said to me, okay, this year you're going to go into sales, next year you're going to go into service, next year you're going to go into repairs, whatever it is. It was I saw something that I thought needed to be improved, so I would move into that, into that role after that. So as an example, I was in the service department learning, learning stuff, and then from there, I went into the research and development because we had somebody who had quit and it was a perfect opportunity for me to grow again within the company. And what we always say that our, our R&D department is the, is the heart. It's the beating heart of the company. So I knew it's where I could do the most good. What were some of the things that you feel like you learned in that role? Well, one is managing time. One is managing people. Because a lot of the job is there was 25 employees that I had to deal with on a day to day. And I still deal with them. And a lot of it is being is humanizing it because, you know, people come in, they have a bad day, whatever it is. You have to understand that and deal with that on a per person basis. So learning that, you know, just because I'm either the boss's son, you still have to relate to the people that you're working with. What was that like being the boss's son? Do were you able to get people to deal with you as an individual or did it take uh, some time for people to look at you as something other than the boss's son? For sure. When you get started, there's no question that, that that's what people see. But for me, I'm, I'm pretty determined that that wasn't going to be my title. It was not going to be my title going through this, through the company, through my experiences here. So I made sure that I would learn as much as I can so that when someone would talk to me, I would know exactly what it is that I would be responding, not not just taking a guess or anything like that. And my credibility, the more I grew in the company, the more my credibility grew. And people know that it's not just because I am the the owner's son, but I'm someone who's passionate and dedicated to the well-being of the of the company. And, you know, we have four, over 450 employees here. And I take it personal that it's my responsibility to make sure that, you know, we, we can keep growing and, and keep going for another 50 years. Do you think that um, the fact that you actually started on the factory floor kind of doing manual labor, did that, do you think that gave you a, a kind of a street cred with, with folks in the factory? Maybe at the time, but memories are short. So probably <laughs> not so much anymore. But that's okay. I don't think anybody expected me to be the world-class upholsterer uh, anyways. Okay, I have to ask, can you actually upholster a piece of, uh, piece of furniture? 
I mean, I can get by. I don't know if it'll pass inspection, but uh, I could figure it out if I had to. Okay. So tell me a little bit about how your role has evolved and the kinds of things you've So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have an uncle and a father that have allowed me to spread my wings um, and go where I see that I, I could be useful. And so their, their guidance has been tremendous. And so where I went from the research and development, I saw that we were growing our sales at a tremendous rate in the U.S. And I knew that we needed a little bit of help there. Uh, so after you know, 13, 14 years of learning about the product, I figured there was no better person to go out and pioneer new territories, talk about our product than I was because of the experience that I had over, you know, a little bit more than a decade and a half. So I was excited about that. And I got tremendous, um, back, it's not the right word, but I got a lot of support, tremendous support from my father and my uncle saying that they, they did believe that it was a good time for me to do it. And it's been about a year I've been doing that. And I've, it's been probably one of the, the greatest things that I've done in the last year because my personality I always thought was suited to to be on the road speaking to people, passing along the message of our product because I do believe in it. We've been in business for over 52 years and it's part of my it's part of my life. It is my life. It's the only thing I've ever known. So I was excited about that. And it's something that I continue to grow. Now I'm managing three three different reps along with my along with my responsibilities and our research and development to oversee that. So it's great. Can't say that I'm not busy. How do you um, when you start to manage people, there's always a point at which you go from being a doer of a process to a manager of a process or a manager of people. How do you make that transition? What were some of the lessons that you got either from your grandfather or your father in terms of managing people? Well, the most important thing is to empower your employees to make sure that they believe that you believe in them. And also you actually have to believe in them because otherwise you're going to be busy putting out fires with 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 the people that you have whereas you should just be managing and letting them do the things that you hired them to do so it took me a little bit of time to do that to to let go and and micromanage because you want to make sure that everything's perfect and like i always tell tell the employees is i feel like when every piece that gets out has my name on it but at the same time when you're producing as many pieces a day as we are i can't look at every single piece i can't inspect i can't i can't be everywhere so part of, part of managing is hiring the right people to do the job and then letting them do it. So it sounds like you started out kind of being a little more hands-on and you, you kind of learned. Um, how did that come about? Was that something that you picked up on your own? Was that something that somebody came to you and said, you know, you have to let go a little bit? I mean, what was that process? I just, I just always, I always saw my grandfather, my father, my uncle, my everybody was a very hard worker, and I felt that that jumping in, you know, if I need, if they needed something to, you know, whatever it was, uh, jumping into the factory and helping out move something, I'd be there. But then one day, my father sat me down and he said, "You can't, you know, you can't, you can't be everywhere all the time. You need to, you need to be overviewing what's going on and not being too much in the forest all the time. It's good to get, it's good to get your hands dirty from time to time." But you also, you can't, you can't do the work of other people. What's that like when your father is the person who's giving you or having a coaching conversation? I mean, father-son relationships are complicated to begin with. 
And I think the people that I've spoken to in the industry, they're even more complicated when you get into a business setting. This conversation is generally not personal, whereas father-son conversations are nothing if not personal. How did the two of you work through that? Well, I think it's, it's a double-edged sword because I could lose patience because it's my father, but at the same time, I could say things to my father that someone else in my position wouldn't necessarily be able to say. And my father's been very complimentary to me over the years and hasn't really, you know, because I've worked hard, he hasn't really had to step in and, and I guess discipline me would be the right word or um, because, because I've worked hard. But at the same time, he's been there to tell me like, when I need to do something or if I'm not doing it correctly. But our, our relationship has been very good. Is, I mean, I have two young kids. We work all day together. And then my father will come over in the afternoon or the evening and spend the afternoon with us. So we, we try to let it all, if it's, whatever happens in the office stays in the office. And then we're able to continue our, our relationship outside of the four walls of LREN. So I've had this conversation with other people in family businesses. When you sit around the table for a holiday meal or you just get together as family, um, is it business? Is it personal? Does at some point your, your mother or your wife go, guys, please give it a rest? Yeah, I would say that they all know pretty much. Um, they know pretty much that whatever we're going to talk about, we'll keep it brief. There's definitely, I mean, we just had, uh, we just celebrated Passover this past week and we were all sitting around the table, the whole family. And, uh, that's when we, those are the few times that we get together. And when we were there, we definitely got into some business. And then at one point, my aunt who, who's the ran and L ran said, all right, guys, it's enough. Ah, and she has spoken. You all listened. Yeah. She's, she's tiny in stature, but big, but big, but big, uh, big presence. You, you mentioned that you have two young children. Um, you and I are connected on LinkedIn. I noticed that you were uh, having a discussion the other day about trying to deal with life balance. Let me ask you, how do you deal? Um, so many young executives today have that same challenge in our industry. How do you deal with the work-life balance? So the rule that I, the, the deal that I made with my wife when I started to go on the road, um, she said to me, go on the road, you got to do what you got to do, but when you're home, I want you better be present. And she was 100% correct. So when I get home at the end of the day, I'll put my phone upstairs for a couple of hours while I take the kids out. Either we'll play in, we'll play in the house, we'll go for a bike ride, we'll do things where I, where I really want to connect with them to make, to make lasting memories because it, is, it goes by so fast. Uh, it, it's within a minute now. My kids are five and three and it feels like yesterday they were born. Mm. Um. Did your father do similar things with you? What was that like for you growing up in a family? My father was very present. I remember I remember he'd be home at six. We'd all have dinner together. On the weekends, he would take us here and there and everywhere. We would ski. We would do all sorts of activities. We'd go on vacations once a year. We really, I, I felt that I had a very present, present parents growing up. There was times definitely traveling he'd be at the high point furniture show so we knew that that was a big deal twice a year he'd be at the toronto furniture show so the expectation of a kid is i know that i knew that he was traveling a lot but i knew that when he was home he would spend time with us 
So I'm trying to, to, to bring mm-hmm. that out of me to show my kids that even though dad's on the road, when he's home, he's home. Um, you're the third generation. You have two kids. Is it your expectation or is there an expectation that they will be involved in the business at some point? You know what? I never really thought about it, but I, I, I think it would be whatever my, whatever my kids want to do in life. I would, I would definitely encourage them to finish school, stay in school, do something. And if this is where they'd like to be, then I'd, I'd have no problem with that. Let's, let's hope that I, the goal would be to get that far. Well, speaking of which, I mean, there, there are um, a number of old proverbs. Almost every country has them about family businesses. And it runs something like first generation starts it, second generation builds it, third generation kills it. No, um, no pressure. <laughs> it, well, exactly. No <laughs> pressure. <laughs> so, um, and I mean, you are involved in the business at a time of tremendous change. You mentioned, for example, that um, the U.S. is just starting to really open up for you guys. How do you see your role in transitioning the business to deal with the way the furniture market and the furniture industry is changing? Well, I think, I mean, it's a, that's a, it's a heavy question, but I do believe that social media, e-commerce, that sort of thing is, is very important going forward. I think that for our retailers, the brick and mortar, I think it's important for them to evolve and make phenomenal websites and social media presence to be able to compete with the Amazons and the Wayfares of the world. I think in terms of manufacturing, that is probably the the hardest question of all because as time goes on, no one's growing up hoping to become an upholsterer, a sewer, a frame maker, all that. So we're trying to, to create processes that will help us in the long term. And On the flip side, because it's not so many people are doing it, we have the advantage of quick turnaround and all that. And I think that's something that's definitely going to help us going forward. Now, at the present, you are a custom furniture maker, right? Everything is custom. Everything's made to Um, order, yeah. Made to order. At a time where consumers are increasingly having their expectations set by Amazon, right? I mean, we see Amazon is now trying to go to one-day delivery, not even two-day delivery. Do you, does that put pressure on the model? Do you think at some point you have to uh, address that with your model? Or do you think you can make to order and meet the timeframes that consumers are going to expect in the future? I think that we have to be who we are. I think, yes, we should. We can try to get as fast as we can to get delivery to our customer. There's no question about that. But we have to stay true to the core of what LRAN is. We can't try to chase after Amazon. We can't try to chase after the one-day delivery because then we're going to have to stock stuff. Then we'd have to pre, pre, pre-produce our furniture. And for us, the reason that we've been successful over the last 52 years is because we've stuck to the model where you can choose what you want. I, I understand that that what Amazon's doing and all that. I totally get it. And I think we do have to adapt. But I think at some point, we still have to be true to who we are. And that's why, you know, about I think it was about 20 years ago when, when imports started to really come into the U.S. And we had a decision. My uncle and my father had a decision. It was, do we start to import or do we 
bunker, hunker down and do what we do best. And we did. And, and you know as well as I do how many manufacturers in North America haven't survived the last 20 years. And that's because they tried to do something. Maybe that's why they tried to do something that, that was not them. And we want people to have the expectation of what LRAN is and, and, and why we're here and why we're going to be here. How do you think you will evolve? If I were to say LRAN five years from now, how would it be different than it is today? I'd love to have a larger social media presence out there. I'd like our name to be growing within the U.S. And maybe there'd be some sort of some sort of nothing related to the LRAN furniture that we're making today, but maybe there'd be a subline that we'd be producing, you know, online. Meaning uh, something that you would import or something that would be sub-branded? No, something that we would be doing here. Like it could be, it could be upholstered benches. It could be kids' beds. It could be dog beds. It could be anything that you can customize and something that we could deliver online. It definitely won't be, it's, my goal is not, to become an uh, an e-commerce, so that I so that I screw the distribution of my customers. I'd like that to be where it is and allow us to do something separate. So, like I said, one of the fastest growing things that I've seen now is is pet furniture. So could be could be dog beds, custom dog beds. Pick any leather. Pick from five hundred fabrics and leathers and make whatever bed you want. I don't know. It is remarkable. You're right. I've. Uh, everybody seems to be jumping into the uh, the pet category. I mean, I don't know what it is in Canada, but um, I think the numbers are there are over 50 million dog owners in the U.S. and growing. I, I believe that. I mean, I bring my dog to work with me. He's sitting in front of me right now staring at me. <laughs> okay, so you raised the question, what kind of dog do you have sitting there staring at? I have a nine-year-old, 100-pound Doberman. Okay. Um. What do you do? You mentioned playing with the kids. What do you do uh, to educate yourself about the, you know, in general business? What do you like to read? Are you a business book reader? Or are you a magazine person? What so, you- uh, so lately I've been reading um, Mike Weinberg has uh, a book he came out with called uh, New Sales Simplified. I started to read that once I, uh, once I started to get into sales. I figured I could, I could use a little brush up. I also, uh, there's the blue ocean theory that I, that I read and you know what, in our industry, I know it's going to sound corny, but I do read furniture today because I'd like to know what's going on in the, in the industry. And I think it's important to read because we, we got to keep learning. There's no question, or I have to keep learning because the more you learn, the more, the, the stronger I can be for, for my company and for my family. Well, Speaking from a purely biased point of view, I don't think that's corny at all. I think that's enlightened <laughs> thinking. Yeah. Well, I love everything. We've had this conversation. I think you guys have been doing have been doing the right thing with the direction that you're going. Because I, I got an email from a customer the other day who told me, "Great quote in furniture today," and he sent me the article. So you're getting you're getting out there. That's for sure. And I think and it's exciting for me to be a part of it because I think it's important that people know who we are and what we do. Okay. Uh, on a more personal note, favorite movie? Favorite movie. 
Well, you really threw me off, threw him a curveball there, my friend. I know, right? You were all ready to talk about business. Like, wait a second, where did this come from? Hey, it's a podcast. We talk yeah. about all kinds of things, right? Yeah, that's fair. My favorite so. movie is probably the first Godfather. Good movie. Um, favorite song or recording artist? Frank Sinatra, My Way. An interesting choice for someone of your generation. Yeah, I, I told you at the beginning, I'm maybe I'm, I'm an old soul. I, me and my grandfather used to sit in the car and listen to Frank Sinatra and Benny Goodman, and it's something that's never uh, never left me. Can I ask my wife? She, she hears me singing Frank Sinatra in the shower all the time. All right, then. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Not one that I can think of right now. Okay. What is your favorite sound? My favorite sound, mm -hmm. I would say, I would say rain falling on the on the roof. Least favorite sound, uh, the, like probably like ninety percent of people, uh, the scratching on a chalkboard or something like a metal against metal, some kind of screech. Great, Jesse. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope we can uh, talk about all the things that Elran is doing for a long time to come. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Take care.